This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For December 21st, 2018. In this week's episode, apps that track your location. How can your location be tracked? And how is collected data about you and your location used? Plus, Apple says iPad Pros bend. But how much bend is too much? Android's face unlock can be duped by a carefully constructed dummy head. And the HSBC online banking site accepts imprecise passwords, bug, or feature. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. So it's Christmas next week, and a lot of people are going to have Apple products under the Christmas tree or in their Christmas stockings. If it's in the stocking, it's not going to be an iMac unless you've got a really big stocking. You might want to check if you get an iPad Pro in case it's bent. This story came out on The Verge, and I'm just thinking people are spending $750 or $1,000 on an iPad Pro or more. You can go up to $1,800 if you put the biggest amount of storage and LTE, and it could be bent. And Apple says it's normal. How can this be normal? Yeah, this sounds really awful. But, you know, looking at pictures of it, it's so slight. You can barely tell. If you line it up, you know, and and you're looking at it dead on, you can tell that it's slightly curved a little bit where it probably shouldn't be. You hear this story and you go, oh, my gosh, Apple's selling bent iPads and saying that's normal and it's okay. But... It's not nearly as bad as I, as I think some people make it sound like it is. No, and, and some of us remember Bendgate when I believe it was the iPhone 6 would bend if you put it in your back pocket and sat down, and this got them really worried. That was a lot worse than this. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm going to link in the show notes to this article on The Verge, and some of these photos look really obviously bent. You know, you say about the one, the, the top photo in the article where it's looking at it at the edge, you don't see it, but the next photo where someone's holding it with a finger out of the box, that that's several degrees. That's not a small amount of bend. I wouldn't expect any bend, but that's not a small amount of bend. Yeah, no, that that's a fair point. So I guess it's a good public service announcement. If you've got an iPad Pro, just make sure you take a look at it, hold it you know, sideways, look, look at it from all angles and, and make sure that it doesn't have any really bad bends in it. If you do, it's, it's cosmetic. I mean, it's not like it's not going well, to... Well, hold on a second. So... I have an iPad Pro 10 and a half inch that I bought a year and a half ago. And in one of the corners, there's a little white spot that I don't know if it's the battery that's swollen a little bit, but the display shows up a little bit white in certain areas. I don't always see it. If I'm using mail and the background's white, I don't see it, but it's a little bit lighter. And I don't know if maybe I dropped something on it, but I always keep a smart cover on it. And what makes me worry about a bent iPad is that this may affect the display over time. Yeah, that's a fair point. And you certainly don't want your battery to be bent inside there. I I don't know if the location of these bends necessarily affects the battery. But yeah, that's something that would concern me for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't spend this much on a device like that and be very happy if it was bent. Uh, Even if you get Apple Care, which is going to cover it for two years, what about after that? This is not a device to throw away after two years. So if you do get an iPad Pro and it's bent, post a comment on the show page. And if you have pictures, we'd love to see it because with all these things, it's hard to know how prevalent they are because a few people talk about them on forums 
And, you know, out of 50 million iPhones sold in a quarter, there were maybe a few dozen that bent with the iPhone 6 or even a few hundred. It's still fractional. But I would really be interested to know how common this is. Well, and what's interesting is the author of this article on The Verge got one that bent and Apple asked him to send it to them so they could have a look at it. But the replacement that he got at Apple's um, store in Brooklyn still had a slight bend and he saw it as soon as he opened it. So I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the kind of thing that one should have in a device like that. You know, you put it on a table and you're going to see that bend and all your Android using friends are going to laugh at you. <laughs> if, it, if it's noticeable, yeah. And, and Apple says, by the way, we should mention that the reason for this bend is that it has something to do with, I guess, the, the cooling process of the metal so, I mean, Apple's saying it's normal. That's why it's normal. It's because when the when it cools, that just kind of happens. But yeah, but that shouldn't happen. A company that makes devices as precise as Apple does should not have a tolerance for bending on an iPad. So, Android. An interesting story about Android is on Forbes this week. A few months ago, we talked about some people who tried to get into iPhones using masks that they created to trick Face ID. Face ID is brilliant, and, and I've only had a phone with that for, what, a month and a half now. And apparently, this was possible for this company that used advanced cinematic techniques for prosthetics and all this, and they could make a face that could trick Face ID, but it was really difficult. It was the level of Tom Cruise-type stuff. Forbes went and decided to try Android phone's face unlock feature, and they made a couple of heads with a 3D printer, and they took 3D photos and... They, they did this in a studio with 50 cameras. So this really wasn't something that you and I can do at home, but it was very easy to trick these devices and unlock them with these fake heads. Yeah. So basically the, the, the takeaway here is that Apple really did some things right when they designed Face ID. Kirk, you were talking about, you, you've been playing around with a with an Android device and you tried this feature out and it's very different the the enrollment process between the iPhone and, and an Android phone. Yeah, on the iPhone, you, you get this sort of circle and you make sure that your face is in the circle. Then you have to like roll your head up and down so it gets all kinds of angles and then you do it again. On Android, it's basically you turn your head to the left and the right, and then it's happy. I think you maybe do it twice. Uh, so, yes, I got an Android phone about a month ago, and I tried it out, and it just seemed too easy, so I turned it off, and I, and I left a passcode on. The Samsung S9, when you sign up on it, according to this Forbes article, says your phone could be unlocked by someone or something that looks like you. Oh, boy. Now, I, I don't know why people would want to trust a phone with something that's that easy to fake. It's worth pointing out that there's a big difference, not only in the technology, but on how third parties utilize and respect this technology. On my iPhone, my bank app will use Face ID to identify me. In the past, it would use Touch ID. So banks consider this reliable enough. But on Android, I don't believe any apps like that will trust Face Unlock as a means of identifying yourself, particularly concerning finances. Well, and after this story, I think it's pretty clear why. And I, I think a big part of this is Steve Jobs used to say that Apple makes the whole widget. You know, they, they make the hardware and the software. And because of that, 
Apple has a really unique advantage in the marketplace because they can design these features to be perfectly tightly integrated with each other. Whereas on Android, you've got all kinds of different manufacturers and there may be some standards that, for example, Google who makes the operating system could set some certain standards and say, well, anyone who wants to take advantage of face unlock must use this type of mechanism to, to do that. But uh, it, it doesn't seem like the standards, whatever standards there might be for Android phones, they're not nearly as high as the standards that Apple has set for itself for Face ID. Well, there's a quote from a OnePlus spokesman who says that it's not entirely secure. For this reason, Face Unlock is not enabled for any secure apps such as banking or payments. Again, if it's not good enough for that, it's not good enough to protect my email because I consider that my email is a way for people to click that forgot my password, get an email, and and, and get access to my other accounts. Maybe bank accounts, you know, might have a second factor. But if they can get into my PayPal account because they've got my email and they've changed the password, well, there's absolutely no way that you can allow, you just can't allow access to your device to be that unreliable. I agree. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the recommendation in this article is if you have an Android phone with face unlock, what you probably want to do instead is just to, to assign a long password and something a lot better. Also avoid using those swipe to unlock things. If, if all you're doing is making a simple pattern on your Android phone to unlock it, that's not the best way to go about securing your device either because people tend to use predictable patterns. It's not just that. If you pick up someone's phone who's been using that, you'll notice smears that cover the area that they've done that in. I remember I lived in Paris for a few years, and in a lot of the old places in Paris, you've got these keypads to get into the, the like the, the coach door that gets into the, the courtyard of a building. And you can always see which keys are used because they're worn down or they're cleaner than the other ones. That's right. So you've got maybe a four-digit code, and you've only got a few possibilities among the four keys that are the cleanest to get in. On a related note about keypads, I was hanging out with my mother recently, and we were at, at a checkout line, and she was making a purchase. And she, she showed me a trick that I had shown her a long time ago, and I'd forgotten about. When she was inputting her debit card PIN, she then, after putting in the PIN, she, she rubbed the whole keypad with her hand. And, and I was like, what are you doing, mom? And she goes, remember you told me that people coming behind me in line might have one of those infrared things and might be able to figure out what digits are in my pin. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, good job, mom. <laughs> do, 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 do. No, that's good. Just one more point about the facial recognition. The Forbes article points out that Microsoft's new Windows Hello Face recognition did not accept the fake head as real. Now, do they use this on computers? Because does Microsoft even make phones anymore? Yeah, I'm not actually I'm not sure about that. But but this Windows Hello functionality, I think, is available across the across their product line. OK, in other shocking security news, we'll link to a tweet in the show notes, someone who discovered that their HSBC online banking password does not need to be correct. HSBC is a, a bank here in the UK, but present internationally. And the person discovered that he could enter his password and then enter any number of random characters afterwards. This was on the HSBC Android app, and it would let him in. 
and HSBC said that this is totally normal. <laughs> it's, it's as normal as a bent iPad. Uh, you know, so this kind of thing happens from time to time. There, there are actually whole websites dedicated to naming and shaming companies that have password policies and behaviors like this. Um, what's especially concerning about this is that there's an implication here that the way that they're treating the passwords, they may not actually be storing them in a secure manner. It's possible that they may just be in plain text in a database. There are a couple of different possibilities on what they might be doing to manipulate this. Someone else responded in a comment to that tweet and said, oh, also, you don't actually have to have the proper case. You know, you don't have to capitalize it. So that what it sounds a lot like is that this is in a database and they're using a query into this database, password database, that's not hashed passwords. We've talked about hashing before, but basically what hashing is, is it, it it's a one-way function. You put the password in and then the same thing comes out on the other end, but you don't know what the actual password is. But you have to know the actual password in order to log into the service. You can't input the hash. If someone steals a database full of password hashes, they can't necessarily get into your account. So hashing is something that everybody should be doing when they're storing passwords. And what kind of sounds like might be going on here is that they've got a database that has unencrypted passwords in it, and, and they're using sort of a string comparison. And if they're doing that, then it wouldn't be case sensitive. And it might also accept things that are a little bit longer, as long as they've got the first certain number of characters. Now, it's also possible that they're doing something really a lot more complex. For example, before they validate the password that you put in, maybe they're converting it to lowercase and maybe they're chopping off everything after the nine characters and then maybe they're still hashing it. Well, that's what some people were saying. But that means that if you want to secure 16 character password, you're not getting the security of 16 characters. You're only getting nine characters. Exactly. What's interesting, though, is what a lot of banks do in the UK here is you have a number of elements to log in. One of them is generally an answer to a secure question that you may make up yourself. And so you just, it's basically a, a string of text that you put in to answer a question. It could be anything, it could be random characters, because your question to yourself could be, you know, what's my random characters? And then what a lot of banks will do is ask for, say, the first, third, and eighth character of your password, rather than have you type the entire password. Also, a lot of them use two-factor authentication. My bank uses one of these little dongles where I have to put a pin in the dongle and I get a six-character code. Or if I use the app on my phone, it generates a code after it authenticates me with Face ID that I use to log in on the internet. So I don't think there's that many banks in the UK that have a, a pure password entry situation. I think it's there's, there's always several steps, and I've been with several different banks in the UK. If you do happen to use HSBC UK, you definitely want to make sure that you put pressure on your bank to, to improve this. And, and check this out with your other accounts. If you've got really important accounts, like banking accounts, even if you have a different bank, check this out. Try it. Uh, you know, try putting in a, a, the wrong case in your password, try putting in extra characters on the end and see what happens because you might be unpleasantly surprised. 
Incidentally, this is very similar to something that I discovered in an Apple system a number of years ago. I think this was back in 2011, back when Apple still had AOL screen name based Apple IDs back when that was still a thing. Uh, Apple has since discontinued that type of Apple ID. But at the time, it was actually possible for you to input your AOL password and not put the correct case, not put the correct number of digits. You could put other stuff in the password and it would still accept it. It was very, very similar. And so that sort of implies that at the time, there may have been some bad password storage, even in, in an Apple system back in those days. Thankfully, that has long since been resolved. But it, it does happen. It even happens to a company as big as Apple. Well, just worth pointing out, as someone in this Twitter thread said, HSBC might stand for a highly secure banking company. <laughs> well, we have nothing to worry about then. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how apps on your phone may be tracking you even when you're not using them. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So the New York Times had an article this week, which is really interesting. And we've talked about location data and we've talked about privacy. The New York Times did some interesting research. Uh, the, the article is titled, Your Apps Know Where You Were Last Night and They're Not Keeping It Secret. And that sounds pretty nefarious. And you may think, oh, this is, you know, they're exaggerating, but they're really not. And what the article does is it takes an example of a couple of people as they leave the house and where they're going and so one woman went to a Weight Watchers meeting and then to her dermatologist's offer, and then she hiked with her dog and stayed at her ex-boyfriend's home. And this information was stored by an app. Now, on iOS, and we'll have a link to an article in the Mac Security blog called Are iOS Apps Spying on Your Location? I explain how to turn off location settings for apps. There aren't that many apps that spy on you all the time. Sorry, that track your location all the time. I shouldn't have said spy on you because that assumes that they're all nefarious. On iOS, these are generally weather apps. I think, Josh, you said to me before the show, Pokemon Go does this. But for most apps, your location settings are generally never or when I'm using the app. And navigation apps also do this as well. So And maps, of course. Yeah. Yeah, because you may be using Google Maps or Apple Maps and switch to something else. And you want that map to keep tracking you and giving you direction, especially if you're using it in a car. 
but the apps that they've looked at here are interesting, like the Weather Channel. Now, you may want the Weather Channel to know where you are all the time to give you weather alerts, but you didn't sign up for the Weather Channel selling your data to hedge funds so people can analyze what you do. <laughs> yeah. So this is something that people should really be aware of. You might have at one time, maybe, for example, in Twitter, maybe you wanted to tag your location in, in a Twitter post or Facebook, and then you never have really used that feature ever since then. But once you enable that feature, that is enabled for that app for, you know, forevermore, and unless you go and specifically turn it off for that app. So this is something that um, it's it's good for people to really be aware of this, because now that app, now that it has access to your location, it could use it for other reasons. You know, they don't necessarily have to continually, you know, notify you. Now we're also going to pay attention to your location for this or that, but they can start using that for other things as well. So they might start giving you targeted advertising based on your location. Right. When you're in a shopping mall and you're near a specific store, you may get a a buzz or an email or a text message alerting you that there's a sale on in that store. So it's it, it's good to be aware of this. And, uh, and and like Kirk mentioned in his article, you can find out how to, to go through and actually turn this off. It, it's really good to audit your, your apps every once in a while and see what permissions they actually have. And location is no exception to that. This is, this is something that uh, most apps probably don't really need your location at all. And, and if you do need it to access your location, maybe just leave it off. And then the on the random occasion when you might really need it to know your location, you turn it back on for a few minutes. Often, if an app wants to use your location and it's off, when you launch the app, you'll get a dialogue saying, we want to use your location, and then you can go to settings and turn it on. Or it'll say, we can't find your location, so we can't give you information about, I don't know, the nearest um, McDonald's or whatever it is. The the Times has a lot of interesting data in this article. And for instance, there's a couple of photos where they're satellite photos and they're showing yellow dots for people whose locations were recorded in a data set that they reviewed. And here's one photo is a bunch of people working at a nuclear power plant. And another is 60 devices of people in a church. Now, I don't think too many people worried about someone knowing they're in a church, but knowing who works in a nuclear power plant, this is a security issue you know, maybe being able to target these people in order to for terrorists to, to to do something in order for Tom Cruise to get in there and pull out the plutonium rods or something. It, it raises a lot of questions about just how much data these companies need. And before the show, I made a suggestion, you know, imagine that you're suspicious of your spouse and what they do. And there's a company that's got all this data and is willing to sell it to you. So you can track exactly where they go. Now, neither you nor I have to worry about our spouses or significant others, but there are people who may be in this situation. And this turns your mobile phone into a sort of a low jack that can track someone or that someone might want to target Josh and buy information about where he goes in order to kidnap him for some reason. <laughs> I know I'm I'm exaggerating a little and making it comical, but when you think about how serious this is, we're just at the beginning of all of this. And imagine in 10 or 15 years when this is common and this data is everywhere. Right. Well, and even if you don't care if somebody knows where you work, maybe you don't work in some particularly sensitive company or something like that. But 
Consider that these apps also know where you live because it's where you spend the majority of your time. And so if they're able to tell where you're using that app most often, and if, if you look up that location on a map, you're going to very clearly see, oh, that's a residential neighborhood or that's a, a high rise where people live in that building. And, you, you know, it's going to be pretty obvious. You're going to you're, you're potentially giving away the location of where you live to these companies. You may not necessarily want to do that. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, our producer, Doug, actually, we, we were talking about this before the show, had the idea of it would be really easy for, for somebody with malicious intent even like to to create an app where their whole purpose and and so maybe it looks like something perfectly legitimate right it could be a, a navigation app that needs to know my location that's fine but what if they create an app specifically with the idea in mind that they're going to collect information about you the user their privacy policy Everybody's privacy policy, almost every app privacy policy that you read is going to say that any successor, any company that takes over that company will have access to that data. You could easily create an app with the intention of collecting someone's personal data, including their location, with the goal of knowing that this is going to be purchased by some bigger company. That, that could be a plausible thing to do as a business model. It sounds awful. Here's another interesting example. So earlier today, I was looking at the coverage for a mobile phone company here in the UK, and their coverage map is using Google Maps. And there is a little bit of a text that says, you agree to abide by Google Maps terms of service when you're using this web page. Now, I didn't agree to anything. I didn't click a little box that said, I agree. I didn't sign anything. Imagine if I'm on a mobile device and I'm looking at this page, Google all of a sudden knows where I am, even though I didn't authorize them to know where I am, where I am. And they're collecting this data. And we trust Google, don't we? We trust them with our data. We don't have to worry about Google. Do we? No, seriously, that sort of thing, something embedded in something else that's going to be collecting data and that you absolutely have you have no rights because they're automatically applying terms of service in, in a situation where you can opt out, of course, by quitting the page, but it's probably already started to record your location. The New York Times article said that this is much more prevalent on Android than on iOS. They looked at data from a company called Mighty Signal, a mobile analysis firm, and they found about 1,200 apps on Android with this sort of location sharing code and about 200 on iOS. Now, iOS is a bit more aggressive in forcing apps to ask for your location and not granting it. With Android, it, it's a little bit different. The process, you get a lot of dialogues with Android when you install an app. But even that there's 200 on Mac OS, uh, you know, we mentioned the Weather Channel app earlier. Do all weather apps do this? Is it just tempting for a weather app to, to store this location and sell it to companies? Well, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, when you open a weather app, you want it to automatically know where you are. And, you know, it's it's kind of inconvenient to have to put in your uh, zip code or something like that every time that you open an app. So it, it makes sense for an app to, to know your location while you're using the app, at least. As for whether it should know where you are all the time, you know, that that's pretty questionable. I, I You know, other than Apple's weather app, you probably don't really want apps to always have access to that information. Yeah, the thing is, you might want a weather app to give you alerts when it's going to rain where you are or, you know, a tornado warning or something like that. 
But in my opinion, you should turn off the always setting whenever you can on iOS. Now, there really are very few apps that do this. The only ones I really found was, interestingly, Apple's Apple Store app has an always setting. And a couple of weather apps have it. You said the Pokemon Go. There's one called Apple Watch Faces, which technically isn't an app, but it's the bit, it's the, 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 the equivalent of the finder on the Apple Watch. And your two options there are never and while using the app. But if you have an Apple Watch, you're always using the app, or at least every time you raise the watch and it turns on its display. So it's the same as always, in a way. This said, I don't really mistrust Apple in terms of location data, but who knows if someone buys out Apple and collects all this data and does something with it at some point in the future. Probably not very likely that anyone's going to be buying Apple anytime soon. No. Now, uh, other things in, in this New York Times article that were kind of interesting, they, they mentioned a couple of specific apps that were bought by another company or rebranded themselves. They mentioned the Weather Channel's app was uh, purchased by IBM, Yeah, which is, you know, that's kind of surprising. Like, why would IBM own the Weather Channel's app? And uh, they also mentioned, some of you might remember Foursquare. That was a uh, an app that people used to check in, you know, uh, let other people know your location because that was cool, I guess, for a little while. And Foursquare has decided to rebrand itself. Now they're a location marketing company. Uh-oh. What a surprise. <laughs> and, and all those people just gave their location to Foursquare just because... They would be, if they did it often enough, they would become the mayor of that specific location. <laughs> right. Yeah. I never installed that app. That that always seemed creepy to me. I don't want people to know where I am. I turn off location on Twitter. I turn off location pretty much everywhere I can. Um, it's just, it's creepy. It, it doesn't make sense. Do you really want someone to know on Twitter, for example, you've just taken a selfie and you're in San Francisco, but you live in New York. That alone is saying, well, this person's home might be empty and might be a target for burglars. Or, you know, you're, you're in a certain place. Oh, I'm just going to take a selfie of myself here by the Grand Canyon when you just called in sick at work. Right. You know, things like that. It makes it a lot safer to just turn this stuff off. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point uh, about oversharing, because uh, regardless of whether you're tagging your location or not, it's a good idea to keep in mind what your audience is. For example, if you are posting someplace publicly and, you know, you're, you've got a whole family photo of yourself, with, you know, everybody and we're, oh yeah, look, we're at the Grand Canyon right now. You could post that picture after you get back, you know, and then people don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> the people still get to enjoy your photo and they don't have to know where you are right now and that you're not at home and won't be for a while. Exactly. I'll post the link in the show notes to episode number 17, where we talked about the Strava app. It's Strava is an app for fitness and it sort of tracks your workouts and all that. They have a, a, a publicly accessible heat map, which shows how many people have been in different locations. And this has actually turned out to reveal some military bases because a lot of soldiers use this to track their workouts. You know, in my opinion, that you need locations, as you say, when you're navigating, when you want to know the weather. But other than that, avoid it. Turn it off. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Okay. Well, listen, Josh, Merry Christmas, because I won't talk to you again until after Christmas. And have a very happy, merry, secure Christmas. Yeah, you too, Kirk. And happy holidays to all of our listeners as well. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. 
To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>